Hi there, this is Dennis Velka with Out Bureau, and you're listening to Out Bureau Voices, where we have engaging conversations with LGBTQ professionals, entrepreneurs, and community leaders from around the world. And our guest today ticks both or all three of those boxes. Her name is Gina Batty. She is a diversity and inclusion um, professional. She is a consultant and she hails from the UK. Welcome, Gina. Thank you very much, Dennis. It's great to be here. How are you? You know, I'm doing pretty well. And, uh, you know, you've caught my eye so much uh, all the time. <laughs> I'll tell you, that was a good thing, right? <laughs> yes, it is. You know, you, you've been on uh, the Out Bureaus group on LinkedIn. Uh, for quite some time, and you always post uh, great little videos that are informational and helpful. Um, I like that from a marketing strategy because most marketers, including the who I think is quite adorably cute, Gary V, who mm. folks, if you don't know him, uh, look him up on YouTube. Uh, unfortunately, he is married with children. So gay boys out there, you got to back off. But he's got really great content. And, you know, one of the things uh, that he says and many of the other uh, professionals out there who are uh, well-renowned in the field of, you know, digital marketing and so forth, always talk about providing value, providing content, 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 and, and giving that value. And you're not giving away the whole secret sauce, but you're giving enough to make, to give a, some actionable information while also setting yourself as an expert. And you have definitely done that. So, uh, but I know that's not where you have started. So let's give a little bit of intro of yourself and talk a little bit of how you got to where you are today. And then let's transition into what you do now as a diversity and inclusion consultant. Absolutely, yes. Well, it's funny that you mention around the educational uh, videos and content that I produce. Um, so I'll take you back to through my journey, kind of a, a brief snapshot so you get an idea of where I've come from and then it'll all make sense as to why I'm doing what I do now. Um, so I guess it kind of started when I was really young. Um, I used to be, I know you probably won't believe this right now, but I used to be incredibly shy and very nervous about speaking out to the point where I would literally speak, uh, count to three in my head to be able to say something out loud. It was that bad. I felt like I couldn't voice what I wanted to voice. Um, so very and early no, on, I and, thought- And no, you're right. I would not have assumed that about you. <laughs> I but, know, I know, I've but, done a lot of work on it. <laughs> but interestingly too, you know, I think it's a lot of growth and, and I'll, I'll, I'll pause here for just a moment and two, to, so that our audience can really get and understand that, you know, Public speaking is not natural. Being on camera is not natural. Teaching other people are not natural, but it's a skill that you learn. Uh, similar to you, I used to be a very shy and introverted kid. I used to be about that big, uh, used to skin and bones, and used to feel very insecure about myself. And of course, knowing that I was gay, I was a bit bullied in school and evangelical family and so forth. So I knew I had to keep to myself. So I, I was just, I, I guess I wasn't, I'm more myself now. I call myself an extroverted introvert or something like that. Uh, I like my quiet time. But when I'm on or, uh, you know, I love throwing dinner parties and going out and socializing and so forth. But um, but yeah, there's a real balance there. But boy, do I love my alone time, too. Yeah. So I totally can get where you're talking about. So you were at the point where you had to kind of give yourself a mental cue to get ready. Uh, exactly. Share more about that. Yeah, so I, I specifically remember being a kid and uh, wanting to say things to my mum and I would literally go into the kitchen, count to three in my head, rehearse the first line and then say it out loud and literally most of my interactions with people as a kid were like that. Um, so I went through school and everything and I, I came across acting. I was introduced to acting at a very young age. Um, I think I was about 11 actually when I, I first started acting and that was what really kind of brought me out of myself a little bit. So I went through um, school, I did um, acting at school, I went to uh, local theatre groups, 
and that kind of stuff. And the idea behind that for me was about giving myself a bit more confidence to speak out loud. So I did that all the way through school. And then I went to university and I studied theatre design. So that is where I was designing light and sound for the theatre. And when I was reflecting on kind of why that came about and, and why that change in direction happened, what I recognised in hindsight is actually that it gave me all of the skills that I need to be able to communicate to people behind the scenes without physically communicating. So the body language cues, um, you know, the very subtle kind of um, nuances that you can put across to people without actually speaking. So I learned theatre design. I did that for three years and then I went into teaching was apparent very early on for me that I am an educator. I've, that's my whole career from that point onwards. I am an educator. Um, I started off educating around acting and voice control. So that was my passion. That's what I was really interested in. Um, and then I moved into really randomly. You'll notice a bit of a, a story here. <laughs> really randomly. I moved into teaching in probation offices. So basically, um, over in the UK, if you get in trouble with the law, you, you have to go to court. Um, and for those people that don't go to jail, then they are put on an order whereby they have to go and sign into a probation office every week. So they've got to go and sign on, say hello to a specified person every week. And as part of that order, they had to do some learning. So they had to like learn new skills and things. So I was actually teaching those ex-offenders. So those people who had been in trouble. Um, so that was my very first teaching job. Okay. Okay. Really well, random. <laughs> well, well, we have a you know similar system here in the United States as well. So I can completely, and I probably most, you know, developed countries uh, do. Uh, mm. So what kind of skills were you teaching these uh, folks on probation? Yeah, so I was teaching them English and maths at that point. So I, I recognised that I was really good at English. I always have been, That's um, I've always liked to write. So I was started off with English and I was very good at maths at school. And I wanted to do something a bit different, which is why I took the role. Um, obviously, I'd been teaching acting and voice control for a little while. That was kind of like um, my introduction to teaching if you like but I realized that actually I wanted something a bit more challenging so what else should you do other than throw yourself into a situation that is potentially dangerous <laughs> don't know where this came from um but yes yeah, so I started teaching them English and maths but what I was actually recognizing whilst I was teaching them is that these people had got in trouble with the law for whatever reason and underlying all of that is because they didn't feel psychologically safe and they weren't able to be their true selves. So people were um, being influenced by their peers and their family members. And that was causing them to uh, lose touch with who they really are, their authentic self, and then do things that were very out of character. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where my story, I guess, begins in terms of what I'm doing now. So very early on, I had this experience in probation offices um, whereby I was I was becoming more and more aware of psychological safety and and people not being authentic. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. And at that point, um, obviously, I, I did. Well, not obviously, you don't know this part of the story, but I did this for a couple of years. And the reason that I left that role was because I was stalked. So I had a stalker, which was a little bit scary. Um I'm only five foot. I'm only really little. Um, and yeah, I, I had a stalker and it, it was a really horrible experience. But my employer were absolutely fantastic. They supported me through everything. They made sure I was safe. Um, they were absolutely brilliant. But it came to that point where I was going through this experience and I realized that I was putting myself in danger, like quite serious danger. And I thought that I should do something about that. So I decided to quit. I left. I then moved on to teaching in a further education college, um, which is usually like 16 to 19 year olds over here. Um, but rather than teaching the 16 to 19 year olds, I decided I wanted to work with adults out in the workplace. So I used to go out into workplaces like um, I had a really good contract with a, a biscuit factory my favorite that was a great one um places like care homes and um a lot of manufacturing um kind of uh, employers basically so i went out and i taught them english and maths whilst they were working 
Now, this is the second part to my story. I was actually bullied as part of that role. Um, my manager found out that I was gay. I wasn't out at work, I should mention at this point. I wasn't out at work. Um, my manager found out and literally just started bullying me. Harassment, abuse for, I think it was about 18 months in total that that happened. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was quite a prolonged uh, experience. And I, I was only quite young then. I, I didn't know any different. This was like my second job. Um, and I thought that that just kind of happened, I guess. Um, very naive at the time. Um, and yet I was being bullied. At that point, I was a size 16, which I believe in US is a US size six, I think. Okay. Um, so I, I was quite big, bearing in mind I'm only little. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I was being bullied. I decided to leave that job um, after that 18 months and I set up my own business, which I've been doing for the last 10 years, which takes me up to today. Um, and that business is basically focused around, well, it started off being about LGBT plus inclusion training. So I wanted to go out into workplaces and teach employers about LGBT inclusion and how to do it. So people didn't have that same experience that I had. But then over the years, it's kind of grown and expanded into still being about LGBT plus inclusion, but also including psychological safety. So those experiences that I've had through the bullying and through the um, working with the probation clients made me start thinking a lot more about what it means to have a safe environment at work. So I put together the five pillars of psychological safety and I've rolled those out basically across workplaces around the world. So that takes me to today. <laughs> Hopefully that was a succinct enough snapshot for you to get an idea yeah. of what I've been doing. <laughs> Yes. Well, you know, it is unfortunate that you had those experiences. Um, I mean, quite, quite literally, potentially dangerous and, mm. and also psychologically dangerous as well. When you don't feel, feel safe at work and you feel like you have to go in, you know, because you have your bills to meet, you know, mm. uh, rent or mortgage payment and food, electricity and all of that stuff we need um you feel a bit trapped don't you yeah yeah and it, it made me poorly actually because I, I was pretending to be somebody else the whole time that I was at work I was wearing a professional mask I guess um and I actually ended up getting IBS irritable bowel syndrome and it got to a point this this was during the period where I was being bullied um it got to the point where I wasn't able to teach classes in the morning. I would only be able to teach in the afternoon and the evening. So it was significantly impacting on my work, my relationships. Um, yeah, and my teaching as well. Obviously, that had a dramatic impact. Sure, sure. And, you know, one of the things that I always, you know, make sure whenever I have the opportunity to chat with employers of whatever type is there is a, luckily, there is a financial benefit to being fully inclusive and welcoming. It shows that it improves uh, the bottom line of the companies upwards of 30%, according to several studies. Mm -hmm. And part of that gets to why I bring that up is because of your experiences. When you are, as a human being, when you're feeling that you're not uh, safe at work, when you are being bullied and harassed, you are obviously not performing at your peak, right? Yep. And you don't feel safe in order to bring up ideas of innovation, ideas of process improvement, streamlining, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so you feel very, very closed in and would, would, would you say that that was your experience as well in your work in, in that job? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Everything that you just mentioned, but also things like my creativity. I wasn't being as creative when I was lesson planning and, and teaching. Um, yeah. And I, I think the, the other big thing was around um, because I wasn't able to um, be my true self. I, I was literally suppressing who I was. They had no idea about my partner who I've been with for a long time. I was like, because I was going in and I was pretending to be somebody else, people, I think, could sense that. And they, they knew that I'd got my barriers up and they, 
I, I guess what I found was that I was really struggling to make connections with other people and to have strong working relationships because it was like there was there was something that was unspoken and I think they picked up on that yes I people do I mean because they 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 people can sense after a bit that even if they don't know you outside of the workplace when you are in work and they see you're constantly uh, they perceive that you're constantly guarded and so forth that also creates a distrust yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. And then they don't feel that they can be their authentic self with you because you aren't putting that out there as well, which is why it's important for employees to be able to feel safe and be their authentic self because then they're able to, again, come up with those, share their ideas, know that that's not going to be immediately discounted and say, mm. oh, like I, I've, I've had a, an individual, literally his, uh, his manager would, when he would say something or come up with ideas, are you just saying that because you're gay? Is that the gay perspective? Ouch. And it's like, <laughs> Well, if it is, frankly, it's a it's a perspective that's not being told here, and yeah. it's a it's a new i it's a new way of thinking. And you know what? And if you want to resonate with all your customers, who also a percentage happens to be LGBT, you want that yeah, super yeah. Fab, <laughs> super fabulous gay expialidocious ideas, right? So absolutely. Uh, so, wow. Um, so t uh, t talk to us about your, if uh, whatever you're, you know, comfortable in sharing and so forth without giving away all your secret sauce here, but give us an idea of, of those five pillars and, you know, maybe how you work with your clients. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'll start with how I work with clients first, because um, there's a few different ways and then I can talk a bit more about the five pillars. Um, there's a few different ways that I work with um, multinational corporations and Fortune 500s who are predominantly who I work with. The first thing is around training. So as I mentioned, I am an educator. That's the stuff that I love to do. Um, I deliver online training more so these days than I have ever done, <laughs> which is quite cool. Um, I go in and deliver training on site, but I also write e-learning programs. So, you know, when you go into an organization and you're expected to do the mandatory like equality and diversity training, mm -hmm. I write those packages. So I have written a few different ones over the years. Um, there's specific ones around LGBT um, and then there's specific ones around psychological safety and being your authentic self. So I, I work with people in a number of different ways. And what I found is that the e-learning programs that I've written when companies buy into those so when they say yep yeah, we want to roll that out it reaches more people because they're able to like literally cascade it company-wide mm. whereas if i deliver training sessions that's usually to a handful of people maybe 50 or 100 people max in the organization whereas the e-learning it goes out to everybody um so that's great. So they're the, the training options that I deliver. I also do consultancy. You mentioned that in the introduction as well. Um, in terms of the five pillars, yeah. So I'll run you through what they all are. And then I'll say a very little bit about each. And if you want to go into more detail, we can. But I know that we're limited on time. So you might not want to do that today. Um, as I mentioned, the five pillars of psychological safety the background to that is I've done a lot of research and I've had a lot of bad experiences as I've already discussed and I've looked at the five key areas that organizations need to address to make sure that individuals feel safe to bring all of themselves to work. So the five pillars are self and self is based around my authentic self process. Um, the authentic self process came from my work with probation clients. So doing a lot of research, talking to them a lot, figuring out what it is that was stopping them from being their authentic self. So I put together a process. It's a three-step process that I take people through. Um, it's quite complex, so I'm not going to go into it today. Um, but if you want to find out more about it, it's all over my website and anywhere else that you look. So you can find out loads about it anyway. Um, okay. 
Yeah, so the authentic self-process is the foundational part to it, okay? You have to go through that first before you move on to the other four pillars. And the reason that that is the case is because if you don't work on yourself and if you don't show up being your authentic self in the workplace, then all the other pillars are going to fall flat. Okay, so the point is that everybody needs to be able to bring their whole self to work before um, before they delve into the next pillars. So the second yeah. pillar, well, sorry, go I, on. Yeah, if I can uh, pause, pause you right there for a Please, moment yeah. and kind of delve into that just a little bit, because I, I've, I do, I, I've had a couple uh, mental health wellness and getting ready to release another one here shortly, also from the UK. Uh, that matter of fact, my last two in that category are from the UK. I've been on a UK, ah, okay. been on a UK run lately, <laughs> um, and and I've had experiences as well. And you know, in the LGBT community, everyone everyone can can have these experiences, but the LGBT community, uh, to a greater degree, and that is because when you feel different as a young person and you realize you're gay, like I knew I liked boys. I was around five, maybe six. And I knew from my household of, uh, you know, my family mm. that I knew that that already wasn't okay. And, uh, but I had the crush on a neighbor boy uh, and his father oh my god his father was <laughs> this is messy <laughs> oh well his father was a um you know little league baseball and high school baseball coach and we'll just say when when my little neighbor joey and i would be out playing and, and you know mr knight would come home he would get out of his vehicle in in those baseball pants and his nice fitting shirt and <laughs> i would just drool i mean i i was so mesmerized literally mesmerized um so any rate uh little childhood story for you i like but, it <laughs> um but you know i i've i love women I adore women. Women are my typically my best friends. Um, so, but yeah, when you know you're not, when you know you're different, you you do. You put up those shields. You try yeah. to pretend as best you can to try to fit in. And so that's and those messages. Like uh, a recent study showed that ninety seven percent of students in the United States who identify as LGBT. I mean, 97% experience homophobia to some degree. Uh, some more than others, some are outright bullied, some they never are really known, but they hear those homophobic jokes, you know, on the schoolyard or in the hallways. And so that starts to oppress yourself. And then there's, of course, people in the LGBT community, like I'll just share one person who's, um, connected with me on LinkedIn. Um, he's not in my group because uh, he's in India and um, went through a traditional marriage, has children, and, and now desperately trying to live his authentic self. And But he's got a wife and kids, mm -hmm. he's in India, and he's looking to actually immigrate to another country leaving his wife and children just i, I mean I'm, I'm, you know of course you know i'm sure he'll do the right thing and support his children and all of that but he feels like he has to completely remove himself from his own country of origin in order to begin to explore himself mm. and uh, uh, you know as i uh, like to quote rupaul honey if you can't love yourself who else is gonna or something like that and you know, after my divorce of 17 years, uh, you know, I realized even into my adulthood, it's, I wasn't always being my authentic self. I felt that, uh, and I still have issues with my father and so forth, evangelical right wing. And, you know, that even for someone like me, who I'm pretty out, I think, <laughs> 
you know, go, go look at my LinkedIn account. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty out and I've always been fairly out, but in work and with my client, past clients and so forth in corporate consulting. But you always feel um, in your personal life and in your work life, it, it goes together. And I really feel that you have to work on yourself. So I actually did a whole year uh, after my divorce uh, three years ago. Um, did a whole year of working with veterans who were all also LGBT. It was in a group session through the U.S. veteran system and even individual counseling sessions um, and to learn a lot and be able to share in, in a safe space and share my experiences and so forth and listen to others. And so, you know, through your workshops or or through other workshops, I, I really implore everyone out there to don't accept accept status quo. And you, you do have to, you know, quote unquote, love yourself and be comfortable with who you are in your personal life. And then that carries over into your work life. Exactly. It ripples out, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So and sorry, I, I just, just wanted to kind of elaborate on that a little bit because I think it's so absolutely. important. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And if I can just pick up on a point that you mentioned in there, actually, um, you mentioned around um, LGBT people having a lot more stuff, if you like, want of a better word. Um, I, I totally agree because we've grown up in a heterosexual cisgender world. So all I remember being a kid, all of the messages that I saw on TV and billboards and all of that kind of stuff from my parents, from school, you know, it was all around being heterosexual, you know, mm. having um, mixed sex relationships, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and I remember when I was younger, having these thoughts and feelings about being gay that I was like, but does that even exist? Because I've nev never even heard of it at that point. You know, it wasn't in our curriculums. We had Section 28 going on over here at the time, which mm -hmm. meant that um, any any sort of homosexuality in schools, any sort of um, conversations about same-sex relationships, it was a definite no-go in schools by law. So, yeah, I didn't grow up even knowing knowing what being gay was. And it was only when I was starting to question it that I was like, am I weird? Is this normal? You know, all of those kind of thoughts and feelings going on without having anybody to turn to, to say, you know, what's going on here. So I think when it comes to talking about psychological safety, and this is the great thing about psychological safety. Um, when I go in and deliver the training, quite often I'll have a room um, that's mixed. So I'll have some LGBT people in there and some that are not. And the great thing about psychological safety is it's applicable to everybody. You know, everybody, right shows up to work wearing a mask they've all got their own stuff going on but i always um, make sure that people are aware that lgbt individuals have a lot more stuff that they're carrying you know through how they've grown up all their influences all of that stuff that i just talked about social conditioning is a big thing um so yeah and that impacts on us you know all of those experiences that you've had you've created stories in your head you're showing up in a different way so the authentic self process is there for you to look at who you have become look at how you're putting yourself out there and thinking about all the stuff that's had an impact on you over your life and thinking about how you can strip away some of those things that are having a negative influence on you right now so that's the idea behind the authentic self process is to examine yourself, raise your awareness of who you are and how you show up, and then to strip away a few of those layers so you can show up as your authentic self in the workplace and in life, because the two are interlinked. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's pillar one. It's all about the authentic self process. Uh, pillar number two is social. So imagine that you've just uncovered everything about yourself. Well, hopefully not everything, but most stuff about yourself. You've got to remember that when you go into the workplace and you see your colleagues, they've got all of that stuff going on inside of them too. So it's not just you that this is happening to, it happens to everybody. So social is about taking what you've learned about yourself and thinking about how you interact with other people thinking about what triggers you when you're in conversations with people, thinking about what influences how you respond and react in conversations and how you use all of that knowledge to strengthen your interactions and communication with other people. 
So it's taking it one step further from you to the group. (laughs) and, And it's being conscious of yourself so that you're also conscious of others and have empathy in your conversations. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Pillar number three is all about collaboration. This one does exactly as it says on the tin, but it's it's quite in-depth, this one. So pillar one and pillar three, I think, are the most in-depth and intense, I guess, really, when people are coming to work on it. So collaboration goes into, um, we explore the environment that you're in, the culture of the organization, and we look at how to empower and enable effective collaboration in teams. So we're going from you looking at yourself individually to you looking at maybe a couple of people that you're talking to, to how that fits into the wider organization and how you collaborate um, as a team, as uh, teams that are coming together, and then as the whole organization. Um, That involves things like setting up um, safe spaces, ground rules, conflict resolution plans, which is never discussed, but should be. Um, We look at the four steps to effective communication and the foundations for exceptional teamwork. And there's so much involved in that one. Um, You can imagine (laughs) the minute you open it out to the organization, it just kind of um, balloons, I guess. So that's collaboration. Um, The fourth pillar is curiosity. And this goes back to something that you mentioned a little bit earlier on around um, quite often what happens is when you have an idea, you might voice it if you feel brave enough in that that moment. You might voice it, but then it might get shut down the minute that you voiced it. And people might kind of go, yeah, we're not taking that one on board. So curiosity is all about creating that culture where you can experiment, you can contribute, and you can question everything that's going on. So the idea behind this is that you um, you learn the lessons from the mistakes that are made. You encourage constructive and active feedback. And there's a willingness to learn. So both professionally and personally, that's the bit that most people forget. The personally is equally as important. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea behind all of this is that when you put into practice that culture of curiosity, that's when you start to create that culture of innovation. People start to think outside the box. They get a little bit more creative. You know, the questioning what they believe has been true and how they've done things for many, many years. They start to pull it to bits and go, well, why do we do it that way? Why is that important? Why can't we do it this way? So that's when you start to get a bit more creative. Um, which leads us on to pillar five, which is creativity. And this one, again, is tied to the the last one um, in terms of when you voice uh, an idea, it can be shut down, okay? So the idea behind creativity is that all contributions are welcomed, they're all valued equally, um, and there's a culture that is created where new ideas and alternative perspectives are welcomed as well. So the idea is that it's a really collaborative space. There's a lot of curiosity going on. Everybody's aware of each other and aware of themselves and how they're reacting and how they're responding. And yeah, everybody's got a voice. Everybody's va- ideas are valued, considered and discussed openly. So this whole idea of having a super creative environment Awesome. The five pillars. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, I love it. And of course, having those last couple of pillars is why the fully and wholeheartedly embracing diversity, inclusion, and welcoming and, and creating these safe spaces um, and, and a work culture that fosters it and possibly celebrates it is, you know, you know, you know, I challenge organizations to, you know, give an award every quarter for the most outrageous idea that everyone thinks is the most outrageous idea, right? Because maybe that most outrageous idea could become an innovation for the company to go down, you know, a a, a new path. Maybe it's a new product, maybe it's a new service uh, or, you know, whatever those might be, Um, you know, maybe it's, uh, I don't know, 
buying your client, you know, paying for your clients, you know, um, birthday celebrations. I don't know what it might be, but because there, there's, if it's completely, you know, out there, what's nice is, you know, having an organization with so many different culture, so many different backgrounds and cultures, like people from around the world, you know, someone from, you know, South Africa, for example, they might be working in a company in London and there might be little things that are maybe uh, common knowledge in South Africa, but not necessarily in the UK. And therefore, mm-hmm. if they bring that idea, that might be a new, uh, a new innovative product, a new innovative service, or just a, a new way of thinking. And so I absolutely love it. Um, yeah, I, I've shared a, a couple of times in past episodes. Um, my past was uh, my, my longest stint in corporate consulting uh, was also kind of the Fortune 500 and big government agencies and so forth, helping them understand how they own and manage their technology, how they own their hardware, software, contracts, intellectual property, and so forth. And it was going in and, you know, this was now 20 years ago and I did that for like almost 14 years, Uh, but going in and helping them look at all of their business processes and having them kind of do what you're talking about question. Why do we do this? Why does it, why does a, in the procurement process, it goes through 15 steps. Why is this, why does this person need to, you know, approve it? You know, because they, they take three weeks to do anything, for example. And, you know, and then after all the process was, you know, kind of re-engineered to best practices, implementing the tools to automate as much as possible. Um, So my past career was also around change and culture, uh, but on a different side of the house. And it was, it was rewarding, Um, required me to travel extensively and all of that. And, but I get personally much more satisfaction um, out of my current <laughs> uh, business and <laughs> what I'm striving to do. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm very fascinated uh, by folks like yourself working in the diversity and inclusion space and going in and training companies because it's really tough because, you know, a company, you know, like IBM with 300,000 employees or AT&T with 250,000 employees, you know, that's a lot of people, right? To shift, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not like going into a company of 10 or 20, a small business and going in and setting that, those precedences and that culture from an early onset and having that company grow with that from its beginning. You know, you're going into very large corporations that Mm -hmm. some of them have been around 130 years and, you know, that old boy, good old boy, men's, white, heterosexual men's club is fairly ingrained um, for many still. Uh, And then there's industries where that's still fairly prevalent. You know, I Mm -hmm. think, you know, STEM industries, for example. Yeah. Um, So if you wouldn't mind, without naming names, um, or giving so much that we can go, oh, look, it was that company. Um, share, if you would, some of the kind of anything that pops to your mind of, of situations that were, were, were kind of challenging or environments that were challenging and how you perhaps uh, helped them move to a new, a new way. So this gives you an, op- you know, an opportunity to go, Wow, they were really, you know, messed up, but here's what we did and here was the outcome. Do you have any stories like that or anything else that you would like to share about, you know, some successes or strategies with clients that you had? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned STEM companies, actually. I do most of my work with STEM companies um, and financial services, um, yeah, and w- what I found, right, is like you were saying, I'm I'm not going into a little business. I'm going into something that's been established. It's multinational. There's lots of different offices all over the place. Some have offices in countries where actually it's illegal to be LGBT. 
mm-hmm. um, and that can cause issues, uh, obviously. So a couple of things that come to mind when you were just speaking then were about how I dealt with the larger organizations, right? So when I go into an organization, quite typically, um, I'm asked to deliver a one-off training session. So usually they'll kind of come in and say, right, we want you to deliver a training session to maybe 30 of our senior leaders. And that's great. You know, I can go in, I can deliver that training to those 30 senior leaders. But what happens then was always my question, right? I've delivered it to you. You've now got like, what, 5,000, 20,000, however many thousand employees. What are you going to do with that information? And quite often they didn't really do anything with it. So that that has always been a challenge that I'm coming up against. But what I'm finding more recently is that people are looking for alternative ways to spread the message across the whole organization. So people are looking at the e-learning materials and going, okay, yeah, so I think we might need to have some training for our leadership team, which is great. But we also need to roll something out across the entire organization to make them aware of what psychological safety is and make them aware of what LGBT inclusion looks like and how to support LGBT individuals in the workplace. So I think organizations now are more so buying into this idea of it's just not good enough to roll it out to a few people and say, yes, I've ticked that box, you know, which is what it felt like quite often. Right. Um, and, and oh, I've got to chime in there. And it, it's like, you know, they get to go, ooh, we've had LGBT training or we've done this. It's like, you know, right. You've had your 30 to 50 senior executives sit in, you know, an eight, one day or four hours worth of training. But as you stated, what the heck else have you done with it? What it does is it allows them to feel good. Mm. That they've done this training, but as to your point, what impact is that having? How is that going to change the culture? And what new benefits or policies are going to be in place? And how is that going to be supported moving forward? Because, you know, just like anything, you know, I could go off and I could do a four-hour class in basket weaving. (laughs) <laughs> but that doesn't make me a, 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 you know, a master basket weaver, does it? No. It just means I know a little bit, but more than likely, like in most trainings, you probably don't remember 80% mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, how can you possibly create the culture to actually implement anything when you don't have that. So I love the e-learning, especially if they have the opportunity to go back and revisit that training, yeah. you know, over and over again. And the great thing about the e-learning as well is that it can be rolled out across the whole organization. So it doesn't matter where in the world people are, they can revisit it and, and look at it and go through that training. Obviously, when uh, organizations are in, um, they have offices in those places that LGBT um is illegal being lgbt is illegal then there's some implications there so i work with those specific um teams to make sure that the content is applicable it's relevant um and it's you know it's within all the laws that are in place so there are other considerations when it is illegal somewhere Um, But I've worked with so many organizations around the world that we've had to kind of tweak the content, cut bits out, put other bits in um, that are more relevant. So it's it's a bespoke process, you know. But following on from that point, the the other thing that I've noticed is so when I, I I really like to build relationships with organizations, I'm not interested in just going in, delivering one thing, ticking a box and leaving. That's not what education is about. Education is about ongoing learning, uh, lifelong learning. And what I've set up within my business is whereby, yes, I can come in and deliver a one-off training if that's what you want. However, I am going to talk to you about delivering e-learning so it reaches everybody. And then I deliver a program for the psychological safety that's a year-long program. I literally go in with my team. We do an analysis of what's currently happening in the organization. Um, how safe people feel. So we do surveys, we do observations of key people, all of that kind of good stuff. Um, Then we make some recommendations on what they need to do to implement the five pillars. And then I work with the organizations for that year to implement those five pillars into the organization. So I'm really keen on making sure that this is implemented, that 
that people are doing it, that it's embedded on a day-to-day basis. It's not just about having training, learning it, and then kind of going, yeah, I've got it. It's about actually putting it into practice. That's the bit that um, really gets people excited. Very cool. I want to, you know, applaud. <laughs> very, but, very cool. Yeah, it, it is cool. It is cool. And I think I think what people are starting to realize is that it is everybody's uh, responsibility. It's not just one person in the organization. Everybody's got a responsibility with it. And what I've tended to find quite a lot, and I guess this comes back to the challenges that you asked me a little bit earlier, leaders often have a skewed view of what's going on in terms of employee experience and employee life cycle. Um, so typically I'll, I'll get people like leaders in a room, we're talking about psychological safety and somebody will put the hand up and say, hang on a minute, Gina, our company is entirely safe and everybody feels safe to bring all of themselves to work. But when you dig underneath it, it turns out that even they aren't. You know, often I'll get a question about how do I not appear vulnerable when I'm expressing my authentic self, right? That question comes up a lot. Um, so even though leaders think that something is happening in their organization, it's usually not the case. You know, the minute that you put it out to survey and you ask the people in their organization, they're hit with this stark reality of what the actual situation is. And it's because they haven't asked the question. They just don't know. Yeah, you're you you are hitting the nail on the head. Um, uh, I I I have heard that a lot. Uh, so I will you know re-echo what you just said. Um, and what what you know again, getting back to that that first pillar, and then all the lessons here is it must be very gratifying because you're also likely. In, in many cases, the, that education can spill over into personal life, personal relationships, personal communications, mm-hmm. family dynamics, friendship dynamics, and so forth. Yeah. And so it, it's a real education, not only for the workplace, but for the, the personal lives as well. And then that create, can create ripples and uh, effect. So, and, um, you know, one of the other things I, I, I like to make sure that we clarify is, you know, yes, you know, Outbure is focused on the LGBT. Your foundation was coming from that LGBT perspective. Yeah. But folks, it's everyone, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it's when you also, uh, one of my uh, friends, uh, Fabrice uh, Holdart, uh, used to work at the World Bank. Then he wrote the business standards for LGBT inclusion at the United Nations. Now he's out at Out Leadership. And uh, he shared a great um, kind of analogy. And that is the, uh, the inclusivity and safety of the LGBT community within your organizations is a bit like the canary in a coal mine. Mm. So because when an organization, because again, LGBT, we're also everything. We're every gender, we're every race, we're every religion, we're from every culture. And so when you have include uh, a strong inclusion program that is focused on the LGBT community, you're not excluding anyone. You're actually super inclusive of everyone. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, because when you learn this, you're also learning that. So, uh, so I, I uh, really value what you do. And um, <laughs> I'm sure that your uh, your companies, you know, um, hopefully by the end of it all, really appreciate it. After all, you're helping them to uh, reach 30% financial gain, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Obviously, there's a financial benefit, but then there's also, like you mentioned, um, you know, when you look at that first pillar, it is about you. So quite often, I'll be having conversations um, with people when we're talking through the authentic self-process, whereby they're looking at stuff that's happened at home, not necessarily at work, you know, we're looking at all aspects of people's lives because actually this has an impact on everything about who you are. 
You know, mm. if you if you can raise your awareness of who you are and how you're showing up, obviously that that's part of who you are at work. But also that's who you are when you go out socially um, with your family, with your friends. You know, there's a whole host of different areas of your life outside of work that this impacts on. Um, yeah. And, and when people start delving into this, then they become a whole lot more self-aware um, and it, it, it kind of gives them a new lease of life. Um, I take people on retreats to Portugal to specifically focus on the authentic self process we do a week out in Port portugal and i can honestly say every single uh, person can i come along as a guest <laughs> hello <laughs> absolutely <laughs> um obviously we're not running it this year we're not able to run it right, this year right. um, which is a bit of a shame but yeah you, I, i've run it for a good few years now we go to the same place it's an eco resort it's super super like relaxed and it's just amazing um so anyway, yeah, we, we I run workshops on the authentic self-process while people are out there. And it gives, because they're out of their usual environment, it gives people the chance to kind of um, sit back, relax, take stock of who they are and how they're showing up and how they're interacting with people. Um, and I can honestly say it totally transforms people's lives. Every single person that's been on it is now, you know, they've, they've stepped up their game they're being their authentic self, their relationships have changed in a much, um, they're in a much stronger position than they've ever been in, both health-wise, mental health, physical health, spiritual health, emotional health, but also, you know, in terms of their life, their life is just so much more enriched because they, they know who they are. It's awesome yeah. stuff. <laughs> that That is awesome stuff. And I can, you know, uh, through my dialogues with people who focus on, not diversity inclusion, but just mental health. And, you know, that same foundation is in all of those conversations, folks, go back and watch, you know, a few of the episodes uh, and some coming up is you have to know who you are and, and you know, again, the RuPaul thing, you have to love yourself first. Mm -hmm. And that's not, that's not, you know, warm, fuzzy BS. It's, it's, it's true. And, you know, it's also when you know yourself and you get to those root causes, and this isn't all about blaming your parents for everything or this or that, but getting to those root things of, because in our brain, when we have experienced things over and over, whether through directness or subtle cues, it becomes what's called neurological pathways, patterns mm -hmm. of behavior, patterns of expected response. Um, and so that's how, you know, when you're dealing with other people, if someone raises their eyebrows at you, you get all defensive. Well, why? Maybe they just had something in their eye, right? Mm -hmm. So it, but, but people are ingrained in these neurological pathways because it was the uh, when you do something over and over again, it's just like learning a sport, right? When you want to be an excellent tennis player, what do you have to do? You have to practice, 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 practice so that your muscles build that instant muscle memory in order to react, right? Mm -hmm. Your brain does the same thing. And so becoming more conscious and aware of who you are questioning going through these pillars that you have uh uh wonderfully articulated helps you question those things helps you question those thoughts those belief systems those everythings uh so that you can retrain your brain so that you don't go down those well-trodden past neurological pathways and start forming new pathways so um so so scientifically it's it's proven literally to change your brain. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the key thing, isn't it? It's about being aware of, I, I always say it's about being aware of um, what's going on in your mind and being in control of your thoughts. Because when you're in control of your thoughts, you're in control of your life. And if you're not mm -hmm. in control of your thoughts, then they're in control of you. So absolutely. yeah, it's about being more aware, isn't it? But one of, going back to, you asked about challenges a little bit earlier. One of the key um blocks for a lot of leaders is they, they often look at it and go, well, why are we talking about um, individuals? Why, why are we looking at, you know, the issues that they're having and what, what is triggering them? 
why aren't we going straight into collaboration and creativity and curiosity? And the reason that we're not going into that is because if people don't feel safe to bring all of who they are in the first instance, if they don't know who they are and they're struggling to, you know, deal with those uh, triggers, you know, when you mentioned about the eyebrow going up, I was like, yeah, that could be a trigger for somebody. You know, it happened to them in the past. They've associated it with this negative experience. And now when they see it again in future, it's a trigger for them. We're triggered all the time in work. And until you understand what's going on and where it's come from, it's really difficult to move past that. So you have to do one and two before you can move on to three, four and five. Hugely important. Yes. And um, again, this also, again, is tied to personal, psychological, you know, mental health process of, you know, recovery, even, for example, you know, alcohol, drug addiction, they go through a very similar process. And even just getting over, for example, abusive relationships, and it's also because you accept it, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and even just, you know, maybe it's not abusive, but it's, it's as far as physical, but even, even those subtle, you know, microaggressions and outright aggressions that you might get from, you know, as LGBT people, even from family members. And you have to know yourself, love yourself, and also put up rules of engagement that you talked about and uh, consequences, you know, if you don't continue, if you don't stop, you know, treating me this way, speaking to this me this way, there are consequences. And that might be, you might only see me once a year for 30 minutes, if that's the, you know, if that's necessary, yeah. because you have to take care of yourself first. And then when you do that, you can come from a place of feeling authentic, feeling uh, comfortable in yourself, and then going out and creating amazing things, because you're coming from a strong foundation where you know, you know, you are safe, you know, you are, uh, and even if you're an entrepreneur, right, you, you still having that foundation of feeling comfortable of who you are, will make you a, a stronger leader, and even have innovation for yourself uh, in your own business, even if you're just an entrepreneur of say, one or three or four people. Uh, it's, th this is very important for them as well. So, uh, well, very, very cool. I, I love what you're doing. And uh, as I, um, for folks out there who've made it this far, much appreciated. And, Thank you. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I lovingly refer, uh, refer to Gina as the queen of bubbly. And uh, in, her, in her videos uh, that you'll see, uh, you can often find them in the group. You can obviously see them on her uh, website and I'm sure YouTube channel as well. Uh, you always come through with uh, what I instantly got was that I'm like, wow, this, this person is just being truly herself. And before I, you know, got to know you a little bit through your videos is, uh, that's what, what really kind of endeared me to them is like, wow, she's giving great content and she, she just, always seems to be very grounded and very happy and just yeah yourself you know it didn't you know sometimes you'll watch videos of people and you can tell like they're putting on this you know facade of what they think how they think they should be you know yeah. and and they're not just being themselves and they're and i think that comes across and to me that comes across as well um, so, um, really love what you're doing, Gina. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's, it's been a work in progress. I've taken myself through this whole process that I've talked you through today. Um, and I've, I wouldn't say I'm out of the other side. Every day is a school day for me. Um, still learning more about myself, still uncovering things, um, still working through things, but yeah, I certainly feel in a much stronger place than I did when I started my business 10 years ago, which is great. Absolutely. Well, I so much appreciate you joining us today and sharing your your personal story as well as your entrepreneurial story. Uh, it's been fascinating and uh, delightful, and I'm sure everyone there uh, on the other side of watching and or listening has enjoyed it. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. It's been great to chat to you, and I hope it's been helpful to everybody out there listening. Thank you.
I'm sure it has. And thank you, everyone, for staying tuned to the end of this episode. If you have, please, if you are on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button down below. And while down there, go ahead and hit that uh, bell and click note, uh, for all notices. That'll ensure that when you're on YouTube surfing whatever you do, that you'll see our new episodes as they come available. Also, to ensure that you're aware, you can listen to Out Bureau Voices on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, Google, and about 10 other podcasting apps. Find it on your favorite podcasting app to listen to Out Bureau Voices while you're driving to work, laying on the beach, or hmm, maybe vacuuming your house in those red three-inch pumps. Go, girl. All right. Well, thank you so much. This is Dennis Falco with OutBureau.com. You are a professional and LGBT community online. Bye-bye.